Long History's Random UK Prime Minister of the Week. Prime Minister number five, William Cavendish, the stopgap aristocrat. Hello everyone and welcome to Long History. In this series, Random UK Prime Minister of the Week, we literally take a Prime Minister at random and then ask a set of questions of them, such as what were they like, how did they get into office, and what were their main achievements in office. And in this episode we've got another of those Prime Ministers from the 1700s, but we've already covered plenty of Prime Ministers now, so there's lots to explore on your podcast provider, or you'll find them all available on our website longhistory.net. And if that sounds interesting, don't forget to follow this podcast to help promote long history. Right, so let's get going with an episode about a man who was about as aristocratic as you could be, and more or less only ended up in the job of Prime Minister because he knew the right people and had the right temperament to be a stopgap before a more settled government could be established to deal with times of war. And we'll find out more about all that in this episode. So let's get going with random UK Prime Minister of the Week, number five, William Cavendish, the stopgap aristocrat. Lots of Prime Ministers, and indeed all the Prime Ministers of the 1700s, had some sort of an aristocratic background. William Cavendish, however, was the fourth Duke of Devonshire, which meant that he was from one of the most aristocratic and indeed one of the most famous families in the whole country. And really, perhaps this is an arguable detail, but only the kings and queens of the country, of this group of people, are more famous. The very definition of the term upper class is often open for debate. But with the Cavendishes, you don't need to debate. These people are at the top. And you simply do not get any higher. It's even arguable that the royal family are not quite as posh as this family. And in the 1700s, that was particularly the case, with George I and the Second being more German than British. So any Anglophile who goes beyond the superficial histories of the kings and queens of the country will soon come across a Cavendish or two, particularly if you view history as a real-life soap opera. Films have been made about this family and its scandals, and the family seat, the spectacular Chatsworth in Derbyshire, is a top-tier tourist attraction. So in short, it's actually a surprise that only one of this family rose to become Prime Minister. And William Cavendish, as such, was the fifth Prime Minister and the fourth Duke of Devonshire. He actually wasn't one of the more scandalous members of his family. Sorry, but you'll have to look elsewhere to uncover those tales. Here we'll look at how William Cavendish rose to the job and why his administration was so brief, only eight months in total. What was William Cavendish like? It is difficult to get a true flavour of these people from centuries ago, particularly from the brief research done for these episodes. And it is particularly difficult with people like Cavendish, who don't appear to have been, shall we say, eccentric or egotistical. It's always difficult to describe someone when they sound, for want of a better word, nice. Whereas the other major figures of the day, including other future and past Prime Ministers, Pitt the Elder and Thomas Pelham Holes, the Duke of Newcastle, they had their own groups of friends and enemies, but Cavendish seems to have been liked by everyone. This in itself was why he rose to the top job, particularly and importantly being liked by the King at the time, George II. 
he seems to have risen to the job of Prime Minister because he was seen as trustworthy, honest and reliable. It is sometimes said that one criteria that should exclude you from being Prime Minister is that driving ambition. If you want to be Prime Minister, you shouldn't be given the job. Perhaps because it already proves you're crazy. And the opposite is also true. It's sometimes said that the best people for the role are those who don't particularly want it. And Cavendish appears to fit into this latter group. It seems to have been his lack of ambition that meant he hadn't gathered together so many enemies like his political peers. However, when someone more ambitious wanted the job, Cavendish was more than happy for them to take it. What was the historical background? The Seven Years' War was the issue that dominated Cavendish's time in office. And indeed, as we'll see, it was the reason why Cavendish became Prime Minister. This war, one of those precursors to the future world wars, took place between May 1756 and February 1763. Now, there are many messy European wars around this period. The British had managed to stay out of one of these wars, the War of the Austrian Succession, but they couldn't avoid this war. Indeed, they were central to this particular dispute, which began as a colonial war between the French and the British, who were arguing over lands in North America and India. This then exploded when alliances began to shift across the whole of Europe. Prussia sided with Britain, while initially Russia and Austria sided with France. The war ended with a victory of sorts for Britain, which took over most of the area of today's Canada from the French, along with other territories in India and the Caribbean. The United Kingdom at the time. So the news in the UK at the time was dominated by this Seven Years' War, and just before Cavendish took office, it was particularly dominated by a battle for the island of Minorca in the Mediterranean. Today, this is a Spanish island, part of the Balearics, a group which contains Majorca and Ibiza, and it's famous perhaps as the quietest of those three holiday islands. This battle for Minorca was one of the events that set off the Seven Year War, and this was all towards the end of the reign of George II, who would just four years later be replaced by his grandson George III. And it's an important leap from grandfather to grandson because it meant a large generational shift. But as we're talking about Cavendish here, that shift still hadn't happened yet. Population statistics at the time are very imprecise because there was no census. However, we've found numbers for 1756, estimating that there were between 5,300,000 and 7.5 million people in the country. What was happening over in the United States at the time? Well, of course, this was a time when the 13 colonies had still not declared their independence. And in the 1750s, Immigration into the colonies was in full swing. This was, of course, both voluntary and involuntary immigration. And also, of course, this was a time when the Spanish and the French had established their own footholds in the area of today's United States. Who could vote at the time? This was a time of proto-democracy, when members of Parliament were often part of so-called rotten boroughs, which were boroughs with so few voters that they could be easily manipulated by the people with the most power in the area. So it was only the rich, the aristocrats and the landed gentry who had any vote at that time. And this proto-democracy was just a way for the powerful and the rich to rubber-stamp decisions that were heavily influenced by the king at the time. So that was a flavour of the times. Now we'll look at William Cavendish in more detail himself. 
What was his background? Cavendish was born in May 1720 in London and, like only the very wealthiest of aristocrats, had an education which involved private tutors followed by a grand tour of Europe. He first entered Parliament at the age of 21 in 1741. His most significant role before becoming Prime Minister was as Lord Lieutenant of Ireland and he was in that role for about two years until January of 1757. Really, he couldn't have had a more aristocratic life. He married the daughter of the Earl of Burlington, called Charlotte Elizabeth Boyle, when he was 28 in 1748, and with her he had four children. It was in 1755 in the meantime when his father died and he took over the title of Duke of Devonshire. How did Cavendish become Prime Minister? That Seven Years' War began in May 1756, and Cavendish's time as Prime Minister began in November of the same year. The war had not begun well for the British. That initial battle for the island of Minorca was lost by the British, and this meant that Cavendish's predecessor and successor, Thomas Pelham Holles, the Duke of Newcastle, resigned in October of 1756. Now this was at a time when the role of Prime Minister as we see it today did not really exist. It's only looking back that we now see that Cavendish became Prime Minister because he was appointed first Lord of the Treasury and asked to form a government by the King, George II. So when Thomas Pelham Holles, the Duke of Newcastle, resigned, there was a sudden gap in government due to resignation and a replacement was quickly needed. George II liked Cavendish he was seen as an honest, steady and trustworthy man. Ah, but even better than that, he was a cast-iron aristocrat, meaning that by dint of birth he had all the credentials needed to make him worthy of leading the country. So the king asked Cavendish to fill this gap, and Cavendish himself, as a supporter of the monarchy but not ambitious in himself, he accepted the invitation, but there was always an implicit understanding that his role as Prime Minister would only be temporary. What were Cavendish's biggest achievements as Prime Minister? His time in the role lasted just over seven months, so that, as well as being the fifth Prime Minister, he's also the fifth shortest-serving Prime Minister. During his brief tenure, he appears to have managed to secure more funding for the war. Perhaps we could say that he had the sense to realise that better men could do a better job of running the government, which in itself can be said to be a contribution to the war effort. Towards the end of his time in this job, one of his main roles seems to have been to attempt to reconcile the various factions in government. Those other future and past prime ministers, the king and other important players of the time. So he could say he helped to forge a strong enough government to deal with the war, so that he himself could move on. Why did Cavendish leave the role of prime minister? Although brief premierships rarely go hand in hand with excellent leadership, in the case of Cavendish it seems that he only took up the job in the first place on the understanding that it would be temporary until a firmer administration could be put into place to lead the war effort. It appears that George II finally removed his support for Cavendish's administration due to misunderstandings resulting from the execution by firing squad of an admiral due to his failures at the beginning of the Seven Years' War, which led to the loss of that island of Minorca. However, if such short premierships often go hand in hand with disgrace or disaster, Cavendish's seems to have been the exception. 
Even when he left the role of Prime Minister, he continued in government as Lord Chamberlain until 1762, by which time this new young King George III had taken up the throne, and with his new broom he swept clean, wanting to get rid of the old guard and have a fresh start. And as such, Cavendish resigned as a result of the changes that George III brought in, leaving government. Why should we remember William Cavendish? So, as such, it's one of the less ignominious reasons for lasting less than a year in the job. Indeed, during these years when the notion of Prime Minister had not been solidified in quite the same way, it is said to have been William Pitt the Elder who ran the government during Cavendish's administration, and he would eventually continue being this not-quite-Prime Minister in a kind of joint administration with Thomas Pelham Holes, the Duke of Newcastle, back in the top job, although, as we've said, his role of Prime Minister has only really been given to him in hindsight. So Cavendish resigned from the government in 1762, and he actually died only two years later in 1764. And it was even quite an aristocratic ending, really, because he died in today's Belgium, where he'd gone to recuperate from illness. Apparently he was quite a sickly man. Perhaps it's telling that despite having been Prime Minister, he's far from being the most colourful of the Dukes of Devonshire and their wider family, and he actually had a surprisingly scandal-free tenure as Prime Minister, despite his short time in the office. More broadly, however, despite the quite good reputation of Cavendish himself, his term was perhaps a bad sign of things to come, his brief term in office foreshadowing the 1760s, when more aristocrats would take charge with similarly brief terms, to the point where these shaky governments became the norm, something which perhaps led to the poor decisions that in turn led to the disaster for Britain in the 1770s, the loss of the 13 colonies. One final detail about Cavendish is with regards to the seat of the Dukes of Devonshire, that place called Chatsworth House in Derbyshire, well worth a visit. The present house as we see it was largely completed in 1708 by the first Duke of Devonshire, but the Duke we're looking at made big changes around the house to improve its views, not least with the hiring of that most famous of landscape architects, Capability Brown. And whenever you hear that name, just bring an image of typical British countryside to mind with a mansion in the middle, and he was the one who more or less set the template for that. It means in short, however, that although Cavendish's brief tenure as Prime Minister meant that he didn't have much of a legacy in political terms, these things always being arguable of course, he did have a striking physical legacy that's been handed down to today. Many of the people who've driven through the estate of Chatsworth won't even know that the man who had his hand in the design of these grounds was actually a Prime Minister of the country at one point. Thank you for listening to this episode about the fifth Prime Minister, William Cavendish. It's a particular curiosity here because the term Prime Minister, as we've said, didn't really even exist at those times. And although the historic consensus is that this man was a Prime Minister, even this can be said to a certain extent to be arguable. However, I hope that was a good introduction to William Cavendish, the fourth Duke of Devonshire. And as I say, the Duke of Devonshire, the Cavendishes, this family, runs through much of British history and there are plenty of books about them. So anyone who's interested in the history of the country at this time, but wants to get a bit beyond the kings and queens, might find it worth taking a look at this particular family. 
I hope you've enjoyed that episode. If you have, please do give it a like and share it if you can. Don't forget to follow Long History to be informed of future episodes of Random UK Prime Minister of the Week. We seem to have covered a lot of the minor ones at the moment, but we've got some major ones coming up soon, so look out for those. Thank you for listening everyone. This was Random UK Prime Minister of the Week, number 5, William Cavendish, the stopgap aristocrat. Goodbye.